invite you to take out your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 32. Uh, before we uh, get on with our scripture reading, I appreciate Carol praying for um, so many worthwhile things um, with our morning prayer. And she mentioned the uh, the Spanish-speaking church plant that we have the opportunity to, to help host at our facility and our process of um, considering that. And we had a brief meeting last week after the worship service to receive questions and comments and thoughts from the congregation. I just want to point out to you that we're not done with that process and that um, if you would like to give any information or um, thoughts um, to one of our council members as we keep working through this, um, please do that. And if you're one of our council members that are in the sanctuary now, would you mind standing up just so that people in the church know who they can go to um, with thoughts and and uh, questions about the uh, church plant. I see about half council members here. There's a few that are getting ready for the... Um, thank you. Go ahead and sit down. Um, there are some that are getting the grills ready um, for the, the cookout. I'll find a council member, talk to them. We're going to work on ways to get information um, to y'all um, about, about that. Okay, we are going through our Bible in um, a year sermon series. We're still in Genesis, only two more Genesis sermons, and then we're moving on from there. One of the uh, the neat things about Genesis are the fascinating stories um, that we read. And um, I'm going to read one of those, uh, kind of a longer story today. Um, so just sit back and we're going to read through Genesis 32. Um, and then we'll talk about how this interesting story is more than just an interesting story, but it's an important part of this Bible storyline that we're looking at this year. Starting in verse 3. I will proclaim... Oh, no, I'm in Deuteronomy 32, not Genesis 32. <laughs> let's, try, let's try the right book. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau. And if you've been reading along in the Bible storyline, you know there's some friction between Jacob and his brother Esau. Verse 4, he instructed them, these messengers, this is what you are to say to my Lord Esau, your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there until now. I have cattle and donkeys, I have sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord, you, Esau, that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, Well, we went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, well, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O oh God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you have said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I have only my staff. I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I have become two 
camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. And he spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. He put them in care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, Go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, When my brother Esau meets you and asks, Who do you belong to? And where are you going? And who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, Well, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my lord Esau. And he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second and the third and all the others who followed the herds. You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. And be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Uh, How does this fit in with the storyline of the Bible? One of the most important things that we read in Genesis and one of the most important parts of the storyline of the Bible is this blessing that God promises. Uh, you might remember from two weeks ago, God promised Abraham, I will bless you. And you will be a blessing. In fact, all peoples will be blessed through you. So God promises this blessing, not just to Abraham, but to all peoples on earth. That this, this idea of this blessing is woven throughout the storyline that we read in the Bible. It's this massive promise from God. And um, one of the things that Genesis 32, what we just read, describes is what actually is the blessing 
And how do we receive it? And another important question for the weeks to follow will be, how do we respond to this blessing? But today we're going to look at what is this blessing and how do we receive it? Uh, truth be told, I think we often get both two things wrong. What is the blessing and how do we receive it? One, we mistake God's blessing for something that it isn't. We think God's blessing is this. Often I think we think God's blessing is this. God will make life go the way we want it to go. And if life isn't going the way that we want it, we question, well, did we miss out on God's blessing? Is God not being good to us? Or we'll question, well, does God really, does he really mean his blessing in the first place, or is he unreliable? Um, so we get the blessing wrong, and I think we get often how to receive the blessing wrong as well. We're not quite sure how to get the blessing um, but because we often equate the blessing of God as things going the way that we want to in life, we'll think, well, the way that we get this blessing, if the blessing is life going the way that I want it to, the way that I receive that blessing is I work really hard to get it. I really, I work really hard to get life the way that I want it. Um, if I want things to go well, then I got to play my cards right. I got to... Um, I need to have the right connections. I need to um, be at the right place at the right time when an opportunity comes so that I can seize that opportunity. And when we see receiving God's blessing like this, I think in the wrong way, uh, then we turn God's blessing and receiving God's blessing into a wearisome, worrisome pursuit. Now, there's another way to receive God's blessing. And the Bible has a really important word for it. You've heard it several times in this Bible storyline, and that word is rest. Uh, rest in the Bible is seen as the fulfillment of what God has done for us. Think about Genesis chapter 1. God does the work of creation. And then what does God do after doing the work of creation? God rests. Um, that word rest is used as a metaphor for the Israelites entering into the promised land, which we'll get to um, maybe in a month or so. Uh, rest is known as, as it's this metaphor for what, what actually the promised land represents. It represents rest. In the Old Testament, when the Israelites rebelled against God, to the promised land that uh, he was leading them, God said, those people who rebelled against me will not enter my rest. So rest is this metaphor for the promised land and receiving the blessings of God. When you read the book of, of Hebrews in the New Testament, uh, you hear that there still remains a Sabbath rest for people to enter. So enter it. And Jesus talked about rest, didn't he? In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me if you're weary and burdened. See, God's rest represents God's blessings. God's blessing and receiving it should not be a wearisome, worrisome pursuit. But that's exactly what we see in Genesis 32 with Jacob. Jacob has turned the blessing of God into this, 
this pursuit of his, him, of his that is just wearing him out. Jacob, um, at the end of the story, I think, sees how to really receive God's blessing, how to receive this rest. So Jacob is one of the, the, the more interesting names um, in the Old Testament. Um, you might remember or know that his name means heel grabber, and that was just that was a way of, of um, saying that he was a deceiver. That was like an idiom back then for a deceptive person. He was a heel grabber. And if you've been following along the storyline of the Bible, you've seen Jacob has lived into that name. He's manipulated others. He's deceived others. Um, he deceived and manipulated his brother Esau into giving um, his special status as the, the oldest born child, thus receiving a greater share of the father's inheritance. He's deceived Jacob in that way, uh, his brother Esau in that way. He manipulated his father, Isaac, into giving his blessing to Jacob instead of the oldest born Esau. Um, and when that happened, uh, Esau, you, could, you would imagine, didn't take too kindly to having his blessing reserved for him given to Jacob instead. And so um, Esau was determined to kill Jacob. Jacob left his home. He ran away and, and met his future wives and their father Laban. And while he was there, Jacob was manipulating Laban as well, as well and became very wealthy. So Jacob used manipulation to try to get that life that he wanted. Remember, that's how we, we often mistake God's blessing to be, the life that I want for myself. And Jacob is manipulating others along the way to get that life for himself. But through all the trickery, Jacob makes a complete mess out of things. And this is where he is in Genesis 32. He's recognizing this complete mess that he has made. And he gets this sense that all is not okay in my life. In fact, I'm in great danger because my brother wants to kill me. And this is the scene in Genesis 32. Look at verse 6. The messengers that Jacob sent out, returned to him and says, We went to see your brother Esau. He is now coming to meet you. And with him are 400 men. 400 men. They probably were not there to say, Hey, Jacob's coming back. Hooray. Um, we, we don't know it for sure, but it probably wasn't a welcome committee. It probably was a militia to get Jacob. Verse 7 says, Jacob had great fear and distress. He was at this rock-bottom moment. Jacob realizes this mess that he's made. My brother wants to kill me. I've deceived my father-in-law. He's after me too. This is just a mess. What does Jacob do with his mess-making? Well, he does more scheming. He comes up with this scheme to win his brother over with gifts. I will pacify my brother with all of these gifts, he can't let go of managing and being in control. I want to point something out. I didn't notice this until last night when I was reading Elizabeth, the same story from the, the children's Bible that the church, Hope Church, has given to all the families in our church. Um, 
did not realize this until reading that story in that Bible. I want you to, I want to look at verse 20 from, from our story, but I want to read it in the translation that the children's Bible um, uses. Verse 20, this is what Jacob really says. Um, Jacob said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me, and afterward I will see his face, and perhaps he will accept me. Now, remember that language. I will see Esau's face. This is the blessing that Jacob is seeking. Favor from his brother Esau that when he sees Esau's face, Esau's face might light up. Maybe with forgiveness and joy instead of hatred and the determination to kill his brother. And he's scheming so that he can obtain that blessing. Let me tell you, God's rest is not obtained by scheming and planning and pursuing relentlessly. God's rest and your control are mutually exclusive. If you keep trying to be in control, you are not resting. Here's what Dan Allender writes about control. Dan Allender is a, a Christian psychotherapist. Um, he writes, the real goal of control is to eliminate chaos and uncertainty because we don't like that. We like things to be predictable. But underneath all efforts to control is a reservoir of fear, and power is an antidote for fear. It keeps the reservoir of fear from reaching flood level. That's Jacob. I, I got to control this mess that I've made. And then I want to look at this prayer that Jacob prays to God. He prays, God, save me from the hand of my brother Esau. Wasn't well, it a good thing that Jacob is now turning to God in prayer? Well, Yes, it's good to pray to God. But the more that I think through this, the more that I think this is a wrestling prayer, not a restful prayer. He's trying to wrestle with God in this prayer. It could be, could be a perfectly faithful prayer, but I think the more that I read it, I think this is Jacob wrestling with God instead of resting in God. Why? Well, if you look, I mean, you look through the prayer on your own. He begins it with reminding God of God's promises and ends it with reminding God of God's promises. God, you promised that I would prosper. Is it good for us to remind ourselves of God's promises? Absolutely. But I think God is trying to remind God of God's promises instead of himself of God's promises. Try to manipulate God. Wrestle with God. Control God. God, you promised this. Now you need to deliver. Uh, look at, here, and here's one reason why I think that this is wrestling with God, not restful in God prayer. Look at verse 26. You know what happened, this interesting turn in the event. Uh, he wrestles with a man. And the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go. That is a man seeking control. I will not let you go until you bless me, or unless you bless me. That's not rest. 
So think about Jacob and then think about yourself. Um, it's very easy for me to think about myself and think, well, yeah, I've made some messes too. Um, I've made lots of messes. Maybe you've made a mess of things, maybe in a relationship. Look, look at this relationship. You're in a friendship, a romantic relationship, a marriage relationship. Oh, God, I've been making a mess out of this. Maybe at work, you've made a mess. Maybe at school with some grades. Oh, I've made a mess. I've made a mess of some things, God. And maybe a series of decisions that you thought were going to go one way, but they went another way, and the way that they went seems like a big mess. Um, I think this story is in the Bible because it gives good news to messmakers. This story right here, Genesis 32, it gives good news to, to messmakers on how to find rest. So I want to point out a few things from the story. How do we find rest? One, the way to rest is through our humility, not our capability. Jacob is trying to use his capabilities to find rest. He tried to outwit and outmaneuver others. Uh, compare that with how Jesus says we are to find rest. You read, yeah, come to me and you'll find rest. Look at this other thing that Jesus says. Uh, uses different language, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Rest in God's kingdom and God's ways, they're synonymous. In Matthew 18, he says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter my rest. Or he uses the language of kingdom of heaven. You enter it by being a little child. Little children know that they are dependent. They need their parents to do something for them that they cannot do themselves. And they trust their parent to do that for them. Jesus is saying, you give up control to enter into my rest. Um, let's look at this prayer again that Jacob prays, except I want us to look at this prayer. How would a child, a little child, kind of that Jesus is referring to. How would a little child pray this prayer? Um, and so there's two things I want to point out that I think we need to take it to heart um, as we seek rest. One, in prayer, we rely on God's kindness. When you are desperate before God, you don't... Um, you don't only have God's faithfulness in the past to rely on, you also have God's kindness that you can rely on. Look at verse 10. And Jacob appeals to God's kindness. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. So real prayer, real prayer recognizes that this prayer is not a, a tug, a war with God. It's not, I have to somehow convince God to give me his best. Relying on the kindness of God recognizes God. That's who God is. God will give me his best because God is kind. I don't have to trick God into thinking that he should give me his best or pull some strings. You don't doubt that God is going to give you substandard things and you have to up a, a notch 
by convincing God to do something different for you. So you can release yourself to him when we rely on God's kindness. Second thing we do in prayer, we completely surrender to God. Um, in fact, surrendering your life to God is the fulfillment of prayer. That's why we pray, ultimately, to surrender our life to God. Ultimately, prayer is asking, uh, God, you are, you are much wiser and smarter and more powerful and good. Much more um, noble and true and good than I am. And so do what you know is best, Lord. And that's surrendering our life to God. In prayer, we don't come to God competent for running our life, but incompetent in needing His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness not to turn us away. We surrender our God. And surrender to God. If you haven't prayed like that, you haven't really gotten to the heart of prayer. If all of your prayers are, God, help this thing that I want to have happen, happen, then you haven't gotten to the heart, the surrender prayer to God. And there's one more thing that we see from this story. So, so we find rest through our humility, not our competency. We use prayer to surrender to receive rest. And then there's one more thing from the story I want to point out. Um, you embrace the limp that God gives you. So God gives us a life with a limp. Jacob's wrestling with God. Uh, it's kind of a metaphor for his life. He's been wrestling with God his whole life, and we see that as he's wrestled with every other person in his life, his brother, his father, his father-in-law, Laban, has been wrestling with all these people throughout the years, and he's never really submitted to God. And then God wrestling with Jacob feels like that wrestling has just gone on long enough, and all that God has to do is just touch Jacob's hip, and it wrenches, a, wrenches his hip out of its socket. If you think that this story presents Jacob having the upper hand on God, that's not the way to read it. God has the upper hand the entire time. It just takes his touch from God. And God revealed something to Jacob. Jacob, I'm God, and you are not. And that's one of the best lessons we can learn. I'm God, God says, you are not. And ultimately, we have to learn to, to we have to learn our, our dependence, our desperation on God, and then to surrender. Use your limp to lean on God. Like we see that in the story. Limps remind us that we don't need to be in charge. Indeed, we cannot be in charge. Limps are limitations. I think that Jacob probably went on limping for quite some time after this. Maybe his, maybe his whole life after this. And that limp was a reminder that I am dependent on God and I can lean upon God. God gave Jacob this limit. And he God, he God gives us limits as well. He gave Adam and Eve limits. Remember that story, the Garden of Eden with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And that was off limits, God said. It's off limits. God gives you limits so you will rely on him. God's grace aims at nothing less than healing 
our hearts, healing our minds from this just gorilla grip that we place in our lives. God's grace says, no, you have limitations, and that's good. That's a good thing. So, third point about limps, do not despise your limp. Whatever that limitation or limitations that God has given to you, don't despise them. If God gave you a limp as a gift so that you could lean, use it to lean against God, why would you then despise your limp? And this may be one of the hardest things to do because we like to think of our ourselves and think, oh, gosh, I'm so bad at this. I'm so bad at this. I'm no good at this. Everyone else is better at me than this. And it's very easy to start despising the limp that God gives to us. Don't despise your limp. Recognize it as a limit God has given you so that you will lean on Him. And last point on limps. Your limp will lead you to your best self. And I hope as we recognize the life of, uh, the life of Jacob or, or look at his life that we'll begin to really see this as true. Your limp will lead you to your best self. Because Jacob trying to be in control and becoming quite wealthy from it wasn't his best self. Jacob's best self was found in his limp as he started relying on God. And God gives Jacob a new name. Look at verse 28. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but it will be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. He says, you're no longer Jacob. You're no longer the deceiver. Now you're going to be Israel, which means God's struggler or God's wrestler. And and you have overcome, Jacob. Not meaning that he was victorious over God in that wrestling match. Not at all. God wasn't conceding the victory to Jacob. See, whenever God gives a name in the Bible, he's always looking to the future. God renames Abraham, Abraham, pointing to the child that Abraham will have in the future through God's power. He gives Simon the name Peter or Rock, looking ahead to the future to the rock that, G- that Peter would become through God's power. And now he calls Jacob, you're the overcomer now, pointing to the overcoming that Jacob will do in the future as he surrenders his life to God now give up his controlling, scheming ways. How do we know that Jacob will be an overcomer? Here's how. Look at verse 30. What is the real blessing that Jacob is about to receive? So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Remember what blessing Jacob was seeking on his own? When I see Esau's face, maybe he'll accept me. That's not the real blessing that God wants to give Jacob. The real blessing that God wants to give Jacob is that when he sees God's face, he will know that his life is preserved and that God has accepted him. It's because I have seen God face to face that my life is preserved. 
So the real blessing that God offers to us is himself, right? It's, it's his kindness. It's, it's his love. It's the grace of God that overlooks all of our, our limitations and says, you are mine and I love you and I will be with you always. It's the grace that accepts you no matter what. That's the blessing that God promises you. So as we close, I want you to think about maybe a wrestling match that you're having now. And it could be with yourself. Gosh, I wish I could do this better. wish I could get things to go in the right direction. Maybe wrestling with yourself. Or maybe it's wrestling with God. God, why is this not working out? Why, why are you not being good to me? Maybe it's wrestling with someone else, a loved one, and that wrestling match is... You know, it's just kind of tearing you up inside. And now I'm going to close in prayer. But I, I want us to use this prayer to give up that wrestling. And the only way to do that is to recognize the real blessing. And that is God giving us, giving you his favor so that you will know that it's safe, it's perfectly safe to give up to God full control of your life and your struggle. So let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we we might be a little intimidated to give up control to you. Lord, help us to see through Jacob's life that this is the only way to enter rest. Holding on to control is just a formula for weariness and worry. Help us to trust in your goodness. Help us to trust in your love. Help us to know that as we see your face, you do not turn us away. You do not despise us. You give us the power to overcome because your goodness, because you accept us, because you have forgiven us in Christ. Lord, will you now take over? Will you work through our mess? Will you give us peace, real rest, Lord, as we turn our life over to you and seek your love? We pray all this in Christ our Savior. Amen.